Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Over the next uh, few weeks, up until uh, Easter, we're going to share in uh, a series uh, called The Joy of the Empty Tomb. Uh, the Joy of the Empty Tomb. So we're about five weeks out now until uh, Easter Sunday. And I hope that you'll be praying about uh, what God would speak to you uh, both through this message series, but also what God will speak to you about your life and what you will do for him. Uh, what your life will be. Uh, none of us know the days that we have left upon this earth and what are we going to do with the days that we have left uh, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? That should be our singular focus, not uh, how we can continue to progress in our jobs or continue to progress in our incomes or uh, other things like that, but our singular focus, if we name the name of Jesus Christ, ought to be what do I do with the days that I have left in order to exalt and glorify the Lord? That has to be a question that we ask. And I want us to look at John chapter 11. I'm actually going to read to you a fairly extended portion of scripture this morning. And I hope you don't mind that, but the Bible uh, tells us that God's word does not return to him void. And uh, reading the words of scripture, if that was all I did this morning, uh, would be enough for God to do the ministry uh, that he intends to do today. But he has also called us to preach the word and that I intend to do also by God's grace. So if you'll stand with me, let's look at John chapter 11. We're actually going to read verse 1 through verse 45. This is uh, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. It's in essence what is the final straw that gets Jesus in trouble with the religious leaders. And it is a transitional moment in the Gospel of John. And I think it's important for us to look at it as we look at the, the run up to uh, the cross in John's gospel, starting at verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. 
The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying, Secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture today. May you guide us in your word and lead us. Lord, as the word is preached, that we would be hearers and doers. We thank you for it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning.
rather than uh, narrating the context to you, I felt it most appropriate to read the context of this passage uh, to you out of out of the scriptures. Uh, John, the one who is writing uh, this word to us, he wrote his gospel to point people to essentially his, his focus, his purpose is to point people to the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. And he spends the first 10 chapters or so on the three years uh, of Jesus's ministry. And then he spends the remaining 11 chapters on the last week or so of Jesus's life. So this is really what is concerning to John and what John wants to focus is from this point on through the ascension. He wants to focus in on what is going on to show to us that Jesus is the Messiah of God. He sees the death and resurrection of Jesus as of utmost importance. And he wants us to understand what has been accomplished by the work of Jesus on the cross. And John chapter 11 is a very transitional passage in the gospel. And it as I mentioned earlier, it truly solidifies the religious leaders, those who are kind of over uh, the Jewish system of life, those who are over that, it kind of solidifies their focus that now they are going to uh, kill the Lord, that this kind of really sets in motion like no other event prior to it, that Jesus will go to the cross. And so that is their intention as they hear and understand as we read in the last part of verse 45, as they hear and understand that Jesus, uh, by the power that was within him as the son of God, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so I want us to think about a few points as it relates to this passage. In any passage of scripture, there are many, many points that the Lord may speak to us uh, at any time. Uh, There's three here that I do believe the Lord has given put within my heart to share with us this morning that we would walk out faithfully before the Lord. And it's relating to the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the primary mission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The primary mission of Jesus is the glory of God. In verse four, Jesus says, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of man may be glorified by it. So there is a sickness that Lazarus has, and that sickness was not to end in death. Uh, Lazarus, as we learn in verse three, was someone who Jesus loved. Jesus had a personal relationship with Lazarus, and they were friends, Before he was told about the sickness, Jesus already knew that Lazarus was sick as the son of God. Jesus could have in his power and in his might, he could have prevented the sickness altogether. He could have healed Lazarus before Lazarus died, but he did not do those things. And his reason for not doing those things is expressly for the glory of God. And as we look at this passage, one of the things that I come away with that I think the Lord helps us to see is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're as intent about the glory of God as God is in his own glory, then you and I will 
carry or will pay a cost to exalt or to lift up or to see manifest the glory of God. We will pay a cost. There is a cost to being loved by Jesus. Luke 14 and 28 says that when we come to the knowledge of Jesus and we desire to follow him, that we ought to count the cost. We ought to think about it. And in this story, there are several people that there is a cost. We see Mary and Martha and Lazarus, all followers and friends of Jesus. Lazarus went through sickness for the glory of God. He may have thought that he would die, but he did not know he would be raised again. What would it feel like to know you were going to die? If you knew that today was going to finish out your life, maybe it was a sickness, maybe it was something that you've been thinking about, what would it feel like? What would you think about? What would you go through? What did Lazarus go through laying on his first deathbed? Because he had two, apparently. What was it like for Lazarus knowing that he was sick, knowing that his life was fleeing from him, knowing that he was a friend of Jesus, that he loved Jesus and Jesus loved him, and yet here he is laying on a deathbed, feeling his life going from him. Mary and Martha went through the emotional challenge of knowing that Jesus could heal, seeing Jesus heal, but for some reason, not seeing Jesus heal Lazarus when he was sick. Martha says in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing. In other words, Jesus, where were you when we needed you? Disappointment that Jesus did not act according to how they had reasoned him to act in the past. You heal strangers, but you bided your time and were too late to come heal Lazarus, your friend, the one who you loved. Have you ever felt this way in your own life? You're doing your best to be friends with Jesus, but it seems like Jesus is hanging out somewhere else. You're doing your best to follow him. You're doing your best to kind of walk with Jesus, and yet it seems like Jesus is just kind of over here waiting. That here you are going through the pain of your situation, the pain of your circumstance, what you're walking through, the emotions in your mind, maybe the, the, the pain of what's going on in your, in your body because of sickness, maybe fears that you have, maybe things that you've done that continue to kind of uh, pull at you and tug at you, and you're here wondering, Jesus, you said that I'm your friend, you said that you love me, and yet it feels like you're over here, here I am in pain and suffering, but you're over there. People have called you to come to me. People have prayed and asked you to come over here, and yet you still wait. Why does Jesus do that? 
Why wasn't it when those who were friends of Lazarus came and said, hey, Lazarus is sick, Jesus. Jesus didn't just simply say, you know what? Lazarus is going to be fine. Uh, He's going to die, but I'm going to raise him four days later from the dead. And everything is going to be great. And you're going to have a lot of joy at the end of this. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, all, if you read through, if your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, you read through the, the red words, it's actually kind of a little confusing. You don't quite understand what God is doing. And you look at the situation and you think, God, why did you allow Lazarus to walk through the physical pain? You could have healed it from the beginning and he wouldn't have had to go through that at all. Why did you allow Mary and Martha to go through the emotional pain? You could have been really clear with them about what was happening and they wouldn't have had to deal with that at all. The friends of Jesus, the bystanders who said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Everyone sort of perplexed by what's going on here. It's times in our life where we may feel like that. Times in my life where I felt like that. I'm over here praying, seeking, longing, asking God to do something. And Jesus is over here waiting. Waiting. And Jesus tells us back in the beginning of this story why all of this happened. He says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. We have the disciples in this story. See, Bethany was close to Jerusalem. Jesus had already been threatened there. They knew that He was going to die most likely, or at least there was going to be an attempt to kill him if he went back to uh, Jerusalem or in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And here he is going back to heal Lazarus, and you have the disciples who are wondering what they should do as well. Verse 16, Thomas, who we often call Doubting Thomas, and I think it's a really bad rap for the guy. He says, let us also go so that we may die with him. What is it to make a decision and to believe, earnestly believe that you're going to face certain death? That's the situation with the disciples. And Jesus in this story, fully aware of what is going on. And again, trying to convince those who we love that all of these things, all of these things are for one singular purpose. And that is the glory of God. The sickness, the death, the resurrection, the emotional pain, staring death in the face. All of these things are for one singular purpose. And that is the glory of God. See, the mission of Jesus is solely focused on the glory of God. Our our problem as individuals at times is we want to make God's work all about us. 
God working in me for my glory. God working in me for me to be glorified. And I expect everything to always go right with me and everything to always be perfect in my life and my life to always work out in a certain way. We must see each point, each circumstance, each opportunity as part of God's mission to bring glory to himself. We also see in this story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, that there is this notion that Jesus comes in order to rescue. Jesus comes in order to rescue. The journey to Bethany was to rescue Lazarus. The journey to Bethany, the journey going back to Jerusalem, the journey into danger for the Lord was to rescue Lazarus, but it was also the journey to rescue you and me. It was also the journey to rescue you and me because this is what set in motion the cross. The cross was now only a few days away. We'll read and talk about next week in the final portion of this chapter, how it's this very thing, the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus that the Jews try to come about and use as the means to kill Jesus. They, they, just, they don't just want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus too. Imagine that, being sick and dying, being raised from the dead only to be a wanted man. See, the mission of the Lord seeks to rescue people. And in this situation, in this story, there are a lot of people being rescued. A lot of people were experiencing the power of God and seeing firsthand that what they thought they believed about Jesus now really is true. He has the power of life and death. But as we look at this story from afar and we see it at a distance, what we see is that this story is a means for God to receive glory because it's an opportunity that was utilized for Jesus to come and rescue you and me as well. You see, you can't serve Jesus unless you know you need to be rescued. If you don't think you need to be rescued, you don't think you need the Lord. Have you ever seen the news stories when there is a flood somewhere and before the flood comes, they have people going around in loudspeakers saying, get out, get out, go to, get out of town, go to some other place, get away. And there's always the people who stay behind. And the floodwaters begin to come and they kind of go up maybe a floor, and then finally you sometimes see them sitting on the roof of their house and helicopters coming and having uh, to try to rescue them out of that situation. They didn't think they needed to be rescued in the beginning. At times there's people who perish because of that. I don't think I need to be rescued. I don't think anyone needs to come and help me. I'm going to be okay on my own. I'm going to take care of myself and my stuff. Amazing the things that we're willing to give our life for, isn't it? Stuff. We need to be rescued. 
Jesus has come uh, to rescue us. The final thing that I think is important about this story that comes to mind is that when we see the mission of Jesus, it's not something that God just does on his own that just unfolds without, with humans just kind of standing on the sideline saying, wow, that, that's amazing. Wow, it's actually something where God calls us to participate with him. And I find that quite interesting because I fully believe in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, he's directing the affairs of human history and he is working in his sovereignty, but I also believe in free will. And there is some kind of mysterious union between our agency as humans, our ability to act and God's sovereignty that things are going to happen. The end is going to come. Jesus is going to return. These things are going to happen. God is sovereignly directing human history. But in this story, we see that God calls people to participate with him. We're not simply And these people are not simply bystanders in his sovereign plan to glorify himself, but they are responding to his words and his deeds. One of the ways that he does this is he begins by asking them questions. If you ever do a study just on the questions of Jesus, it's pretty interesting to look at the questions that Jesus asks. He doesn't ask questions because he has need of information from us but he asks questions to direct our thoughts and our actions. In verse 25, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, it's a question that demands an answer. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Martha, do you believe this? You've said you believed, you've acted as if you've believed, but do you truly believe? And the question is asked of you and I today. We're in a church, we read the Bible, we talk about the Bible, we think about the Bible, we try to organize our life and how the Bible says, but ultimately when the rubber meets the road, do you believe in this Jesus? Do you believe that he is able to rescue you? Do you believe that when you die, you will see the glory of the Lord? Do you believe this? In verse 34, Jesus asks another question, and I find this one quite curious. He says, where have you laid him? Now, Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. He knew it had been four days since Lazarus' death. He knew exactly where Lazarus was as God of the universe. So why did he ask? Why did he ask? I don't know that I know the full explanation to this. But I do think that part of the explanation to this is that we have to welcome Jesus into places in our lives that are dead and void of hope. Jesus asked the question, where have you laid him? And they respond, come and see. You see, maybe Jesus is looking at you today and asking you where you have laid some things that have died. 
He already knows where those things are. He knows what those things are. He knows the circumstances in your life that maybe you have passed on from and say, uh, God maybe spoke to me in times past or God did a work in times past, but that now is never uh, going to happen again. That can never come to pass again. It's dead, it's in the tomb, it's sealed, it's wrapped in its grave clothes. That's never going to transpire again. Or maybe you feel that what you have been going through, the struggle you have been going through, that you are in the tomb, you're in darkness, you're wrapped up, you're bound. You don't know if you are going to ever get out. And Jesus asked the question, where have you laid him? And what is our response to be? Come and see. See, we have a Lord that wants to be in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the things that we walk through on a daily basis. And there's sometimes that we take Jesus by the hand in our prayer life, in our devotional life, we take Jesus by the hand and we take him and we say, come and see, Lord. Come and see the pain that I've been through, Lord. Come and see the part of my life that I've cut off, that I'm not willing to talk about, that I'm not willing to allow anyone else to see or anyone else to be a part of. Come and see that part of my life, Lord. Allowing Jesus into our pain, allowing Jesus come and see the death, come and see the sorrow, come and see the stench of sin. Be a pretty painful thing to do, isn't it? For a Jew, rolling the stone back and having anything to do with a corpse is really a horrible, horrific circumstance. It's very horrific for a Jew to even think about that because it's so unclean. And the idea that this body had been in the tomb and now it was stinking and somebody had to go up and roll the stone away was simply something that was just horrific for a Jew. But I would venture to say in a group such as this, that there's probably some areas in our life where Jesus is asking you the question about maybe dead things in your life, where is it? And your only response is, come and see. Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with your circumstances and be honest in your situation. Jesus not only calls people to participate with him by asking them questions, Jesus employs people on his mission by commanding their help. In verse 39, he commands, remove the stone. Verse 44, he says, unbind him and let him go. All of these could have been powerfully miraculous events. Jesus could have waved a hand and the stone could have rolled away and light could have shined out and Lazarus could have stepped forth in dazzling garments. Would have been powerful, wouldn't it? Would have been amazing. But Jesus chose some people had to help push the stone away. When Jesus cried out for Lazarus to come forth, Someone had to go up and begin to unbind him 
unloose him. There needed to be hell. There was participation. Oftentimes in those recesses of our heart, those caves that have crusted over in time, we don't want people to see that. We don't want people to participate in that. But sometimes God uses people in our life to begin to pull the crust off. And sometimes that is pretty painful. This past week, my uh, family and I left uh, last Sunday after church and traveled down to Tennessee to visit my father-in-law for his birthday. He's 84 last Sunday. And during the time that we were there, we helped them with some projects at the house. And we were in the woods, cutting dead trees, pulling them out, uh, trying to help clean up some things uh, for them. And almost uh, all of us, except for Nicole and the little kids, got poison ivy. And as I've been dealing with the poison ivy on my arms and on my hand and Seth and others have been dealing with it everywhere on their face and everywhere else, one of the things that I've hoped for actually is the crusting over. Now, I know that doesn't sound very nice, does it? But even this morning, uh, you know, kind of going through the sermon and trying to type and seeing all this stuff, I'm praying, just get it crusted over. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a nasty mess, and we just want to hide it. I don't want you guys looking at my arm. I don't want you seeing it. I don't want that being part of it. I want to cover it up and cross it over. I want it to go away. That's often how we treat our pain. That's often how we treat the things that have gone wrong. We treat our personal relationships. We treat our family relationships. We treat our frustrations with God. We just let them crust over and we get hard. And we're not very flexible. And sometimes God uses other people to roll away the stone to expose what was dead. In my experience in uh, church life, what happens is at that moment, people can either become broken and just let Jesus have it all, and they're just totally free. They're free. Jesus, there was a dead spot. You healed it. You created life out of that dead thing. And Jesus, I worship you and praise you. And that's why we see some people who are so vibrant in their praise. And I would say to you, never look with scorn in your mind of someone whose praise is vibrant. You don't know the journey that they've walked through. And I wish that there were more people who truly grasped what it meant for God to reach in and pull the crust off and expose the dead thing and bring life out of it again. A worship of vibrancy and of love and of graciousness to the Lord. Sometimes Jesus uses others to pull that crust off and we can respond by worship or we can respond by bitterness. I walk away and say, I'll never let anyone see that part of me again. It just becomes harder, harder, harder. Sometimes, as the Lord is doing a work in us, God is shining light in our life. There are still areas where there is this struggle. Imagine, how did Lazarus come out of that cave? You know, 
he would have been bound with probably a hundred pounds or more of spices wrapped up in those grave clothes. And I thought about this and I thought, Jesus, when you were raised from the dead, your grave clothes were neatly folded and left in the tomb. But when Lazarus is raised from the dead, somehow for God's glory, Lazarus somehow is having to shuffle out. Can you imagine what that would look like? What would you and I think about that? Imagine Jesus takes us to the cemetery next door in Hollymead and says, dig it up. Open it up. It's just unbelievable to us. And here Lazarus is shuffling out and Jesus says to those around, unbind him, unloose him. A necessity for other people to be locked together to show love and kindness. People who had to be bold to go and touch something that was dead that's now been brought back to life. God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness, all of these things are for his glory. All of these things are for his glory. What you're walking through, what you're experiencing, if you're in Christ, it's for God's glory. What has happened in the past, what happened in the future, it's for God's glory. Allow God to work in those recesses of your life. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help us this morning. One, to have a singular focus. And that is for God to be glorified through our life, through our church, through our mission, that God would be glorified through his son, Jesus Christ. And two, that we would work together and labor together and be bound together to see God do the redemptive work in the recesses of our heart that needs to be done, that people will be set free, that people will be healed, that there would truly be a work of God that we would bind together, not be singular people out on an island somewhere, but bound together for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Jesus, last night as we were going to church at East High, I got there a little early. There were canned goods and such in the front of the lobby. I thought I would be helpful and move it all in one corner, not realizing that others had been there before me and sorted it all out. trying to be helpful but in reality making a mess that's really what happens when we try to do it on our own 
We walk into any situation. This is what needs to be done. I'll do it. This is what needs to happen. I'll do it on my own. Not realizing, Lord, that you have orchestrated the kingdom in such a way that your people must be linked together. You have created just a beautiful tapestry of grace, O oh Lord. That when I have pain or difficulty in my life, you have just the right person to be your hand extended that in my life you would receive glory and in the one who is helping you would receive glory. Sometimes it's easy for us to be comfortable in the tomb. No one else is there. No one else knows. But Lazarus would not have been resurrected if the stone wasn't rolled away and light shining in the dark places. And then, and in that moment of resurrection, Mary and Martha and the disciples and the onlooking Jews, they all knew that God was in their midst. The pain of the past, the wondering, the wise, the questioning, the difficulty and sickness, the emotional difficulty, all of that paled in comparison to the awe at looking at what was dead live again. So God, help us. Help us, Lord in this moment to be a people who fully trust ourselves to your hand. That we would fully trust ourselves, O oh Lord, to your grace and your mercy, O oh God. That we would realize that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with me, O oh God. You're with me, Lord, in the difficulty. You're with me in the sickness. You're with me in the emotional distress. You're with me in the fear. You're with me in the agony. You're with me in the pain. Oh, God, you're with me in the valley of the shadow of death, God. I am not alone. Tomorrow afternoon, 
Lord, we pray for your grace. We will be giving physical food out at East High. Seeking to work with you to provide for a need in our community. But God, we do it full well realizing that the hunger in the belly is not all that needs to be filled. That there's a longing in the spirit that needs to know that Jesus cares, Jesus loves, Jesus is concerned. Out of that, oh Lord, I pray that we would not receive glory, but that you would receive glory. That your name would be exalted. Your name would be praised, O oh Lord, in East High. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. And during that time, I would ask for each of us to commit ourselves once again to being transparent before the Lord. Allowing him access to speak life into places that maybe have been dark voids. That we would honor and give him glory. You need prayer this morning towards that end. Someone will meet you here in the altar to pray with you, to intercede with you. But let it also be our collective prayer. There's not one of us here that doesn't have a scab this morning. And so, Lord, we commit it to you. We thank you, Jesus. We bind together, O oh Lord, in prayer for one another. Let your spirit work and move today, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen. Let's worship and sing together this day. If you need prayer, please come.